Well, good morning, church. How are we? Good to see all of you. Um, it, I just feel like you guys want to clap right now. Do you just need to clap real quick? <laughs> good. We got it out of our system. Is that good? Good to see all of you. Um, it's good to be back here for those that are new or visiting. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here today. So grateful for Brian and Allison continuing to lead us through the Gospel of Mark in our series called The Life and Way of Jesus. We are going to pick up where Brian left off last week in Mark chapter 7, verse 31. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get those out right now and turn there. We will be there in just a minute. Um, last year, around this time, my family and I, we decided to take a trip and visit my youngest sister and her family in the warm and sunny state of Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. And so we did this last midwinter break, um, and uh, that was the plan, at least. You see, here's where trouble began. Um, when I bought tickets for my family of five to go down to Phoenix, Arizona, I made the grave mistake of booking our flights with Spirit Airlines. <laughs> and so, yes, I know that whatever horror story I'm about to tell, I have brought it upon myself, okay? <laughs> and yeah, I've, I've, I've read the internet articles, I've seen the memes, I've heard the warnings, but I thought that this whole don't fly with Spirit Airlines thing, I thought it was just like an internet thing, you know where people go online and make a bigger deal of this on the internet than it, really, than it really is? However, I am here to tell you this morning that I was so, so wrong. <laughs> the obstacles began when I woke up the day of our flight to check our flight status. I checked our email and lo and behold, our flight was delayed. Not a huge problem, right? It just meant maybe a later arrival time in Phoenix for our trip, but it also meant more sleep in the morning. And so, you know, obstacle number one. An obstacle nonetheless, but a little one. However, not only did I book a Spirit Airlines flight, and not only was it early in the morning, this flight was connecting through the lovely city of Las Vegas. And here is where the problem arose. The new flight that they booked us on from Seattle to Las Vegas would not make it in time for us to get from Las Vegas to Phoenix. And so they booked us on our second leg for our flight the following day, which meant our family of five was going to spend a lovely unplanned evening in Las Vegas. Now let me ask all of you this. Did I also receive an email from Spirit Airlines indicating how they would lodge us somewhere in Las Vegas for that evening? No, I did not. I did not. And listen, this was a technical issue with their airplane. So they were on the hook. This is obstacle number two. And this is a much bigger obstacle. But now here comes obstacle number three having to deal with Spirit Airlines customer support. <laughs> 700 years ago, the famed poet Dante wrote his magnum opus, The Inferno. And if you translate the 32nd canto, the Latin there, just right, he prophetically describes having to deal with Spirit Airlines customer support as the ninth and final circle of hell. 
after losing my salvation multiple times, <laughs> I, I finally secured two hotel vouchers to what can only be described as the Las Vegas Strip's least sanitary hotel, okay? All right, but listen, our family, we made the best of it. We walked the Vegas Strip. We had a good meal. We quickly made our way back to the hotel. We didn't catch a disease from our beds, and praise God, our flight to Phoenix left on time the next day. We had a wonderful time with our family. So why do I share this story with all of you this morning? Is it to warn you against the perils of flying with Spirit Airlines? No, it isn't, because I know you're reasonably intelligent people who would not do that, like me. No, I share that story with all of you because I want to share this idea with you, and it's this. While obstacles in life are inevitable, with Jesus they are not insurmountable. While obstacles in life are inevitable, obstacles, hardship, difficulty, they are inevitable, not just when you fly Spirit Airlines, but in all of life, they are inevitable. With Jesus, they are not insurmountable. You know, I hate to break this to all of you this morning, uh, but, but we live in a broken world. We live in a messed up world. We live in a world that is still plagued with the presence of what the scriptures call sin. And we see this in the world all around us. We see this in the wars that rage on in Ukraine and in the Middle East and throughout the world. We see this in the greed and the corruption that pervade just about every single institution in our world right now. We see this in rising homelessness, rising substance abuse, rising relational fallout. We see this in the world around us. But we, but we not only see this in the world around us, if we are honest with ourselves this morning, we see this in our own lives as well. The brokenness, the lostness, the hurt, the obstacles. And while there are certainly external obstacles we face, like relational fallout, poor health, financial difficulty, you name it, I think we are also all too familiar with those internal obstacles that we all face. Our shame, our guilt, addictions, pride, the lies we believe, fixations. And all of these obstacles, the external and especially the internal, they prevent us from, from fulfilling our deepest desire our deepest desire, and in fact, sometimes these obstacles that we face, they're actually at the root of our strongest desires, which if you remember from our fasting series a few weeks ago, our strongest desires are not always the same as our deepest desire, and these strongest desires are not always good and healthy and lead to a flourishing life for us. Because hear this this morning, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, because you are created by God in his image, he has placed within each and every single one of you a deeper desire, this deepest desire, a deeper desire than a happy or healthy marriage, a deeper desire than a well-ordered family, a deeper desire than a fully funded retirement account, a deeper desire than a fulfilling job or an active social life or even a healthy body. All those things that we think, when I finally get that thing, then I will be whole and satisfied and content and happy. And listen, all of those things are fine and good things, but they are not the greatest thing. 
They are not the deepest thing that our hearts long for. And, and you know this. You know this. Because some of you have had or currently have those desires satisfied in your life right now. And yet even still, as you sit in those chairs this morning, you know, you know something is missing still. That you long for something more. That there is a greater, deeper desire lurking underneath in each and every one of your hearts. Makes me think of that C.S. Lewis quote. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We have a deeper desire. We are made for another world. And so today, here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk not just about the inevitable obstacles that we all face in this life, but more importantly, I want us to talk about how this Jesus that we've been learning about and that we've been following through the gospel of Mark meets us in the midst of those obstacles and miraculously overcomes those obstacles and satisfies our greatest desire. But before we do that, let's pray. Father in heaven, We invite you into this place this morning. Would your spirit come and open our eyes, open our ears so that we would hear what you would have for us this morning. We pray that you would uncover off the top of our hearts all of those things that we think we long for and would you help us to see your son Jesus clearly? Would you help us to see how he will satisfy our greatest desire, how he has made a way We pray, God, that you would work this morning. We pray in your son's name, amen. So remember last week, Jesus was in the region of Tyre. He had this interaction with that Syrophoenician woman who had the demon-possessed daughter. And the truly beautiful thing about that interaction between Jesus and that woman is that it was one of these unusual, unexpected moments in Mark's gospel where someone truly saw and understood who Jesus truly was. Even though the the Pharisees, the religious elite, and even Jesus' closest friends, his his disciples, his followers, would have seen this woman as an outsider of outsiders, in this moment right here, she saw and truly perceived. She heard and truly understood. Even though she was faced with these seemingly insurmountable obstacles, Brian last week quoted Jonathan Edwards saying that she had this crescendo of demerit. Do you remember that? She was a Gentile. She was a woman. She had this demon-possessed home and this daughter. She had all these things working against her, and yet she saw Jesus not through the lens of her own expectations, but she saw Jesus through the lens of faith. There's this beautiful interaction And so now we see here Jesus in our passage. He is on the move again, and so let's pick it up in verse 31. Look there. Then Jesus went out again from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. Now, this isn't Jesus' first rendezvous in Decapolis. Do you remember like a few months ago when Jesus was in Decapolis previously in Mark chapter 5? Do you remember this? When he healed that man who was possessed with legion? Remember that weird story? And Jesus encounters this weird man possessed with all these demons, and what does he do? He casts all of those demons into what? 
a herd of pigs, right? And, and those herd of pigs, they run into the sea, but this man is healed of his demon possession. But how does the town of Decapolis respond to that miracle? Do you remember? They weren't thrilled, right? They wanted Jesus out. And so they kicked him out of town and Jesus left. But here in Mark 7, some time has passed. And the people have probably had some time to see this, de- this formerly demon-possessed man's life go from like this like chaotic, scary, horror movie-like vibe to like him maybe becoming an upstanding citizen in their midst. And look at how they respond to Jesus now that he sets foot on their turf again. Verse 32. They brought to him, they welcomed him, they went out to him with a deaf man who had difficulty speaking. And they asked him to place his hands on him, certainly seeking Jesus' healing power in this man's life. And so when Jesus sets foot in Decapolis again, the people don't send out their strongest, most intimidating dudes to intimidate Jesus and his disciples off of their territory. No, they go out and they bring out the welcome wagon. They bring out all their friends, and they also bring out another person in their midst who's suffering. But this person who's suffering here is suffering in a different way than the demon-possessed man that Jesus healed his first time through Decapolis. Who does Mark say they brought? They brought this man who was deaf and had difficulty speaking. Now, a little commentary on this passage right here, because at first glance, what we might see is just Jesus, a deaf man, and spoiler alert, a healing, okay? That's what we might see on the surface, but listen, this story, this interaction between Jesus and a deaf man, and what Jesus is about to do for this deaf man at this point in Mark's narrative It has massive significance beyond what we are going to simply see on the surface. And this starts with the obstacles that this man faces. On a surface level, he was deaf and he couldn't speak. On a surface level. And I think even in today's culture, those who are deaf have certain obstacles and disadvantages. To not be able to hear shuts you out, at least temporarily, from the vitally important acts of receiving information and communicating information to others. However, because of communication advances in sign language today, because of technological advances with things like the cochlear implant and other things, those who are deaf today have the ability to bridge some of these obstacles and connect with others and lead thriving and flourishing lives. It's amazing. However, things were quite different 2,000 years ago. Things were different. It was a much larger obstacle back then. First of all, communication advances weren't as far along Sign language wasn't robust, and I think it goes without saying that technological advances were nowhere near where they are at right now. There were no cochlear implants. There were no other advances to help these kinds of individuals along to bridge that communication gap. On top of that, their culture was so vastly different than our text-driven, written word-centric culture This was primarily a verbal and auditory culture. It was oral, O-R-A-L, and aural, A-U-R-A-L. That's the kind of culture this man would have been living in at the time. And so there were limited ways to overcome 
this obstacle. And because of this, a man in this condition would have in many, many ways been cut off from his community. And this wouldn't have been entirely intentional, but without communication, without connection, there's minimal opportunity to build community. And so this man's life, just put yourself in this man's shoes then at this time. This man's life would have been isolating, would have been lonely. I mean, think about it. He would have gone out into the marketplace on any given day and seen his neighbors connecting and joking around and laughing, and he would have had no idea as to what was really, truly going on. He may have participated in like religious ceremonies and and people may have been moved to tears during those times, but he wouldn't have known really what was said to cause that kind of feeling and emotion and depth of movement. He would have watched as his parents would have been joking around with his brothers or his sisters and, and, and seen the laughter from afar and only have been able to join in with a soft and yet still probably quite sad smile. Just think about the disconnection this man would have felt because of the obstacles that he faced in his life. It was was all of it, the deafness, his inability to speak. It was an obstacle for him. It was an obstacle that prevented him from fully participating in the joys and fullness that life had to offer. Now, I mentioned this just a moment ago, just a few moments ago, that there is significance to Mark positioning this story at this point in the gospel. And listen, here's why. The full purpose of this story right here is not just to tell some story about Jesus healing this man who couldn't hear and couldn't speak. If we go back in Mark's gospel to Mark chapter 4, we'll encounter a story that we've already studied and we've already learned about where Jesus was gathered by the sea with his disciples and with his followers and he was teaching this parable, a really important and and really well-known parable called the parable of the sower. And in this parable of the sower, Jesus talks about a sower sowing seed and he sows some seed along a path and that seed is quickly gathered up by birds. He sows some seed on rocky soil He sows some seed in thorny ground, and then he sows some seed, a very select few small amount of seed, lands on what? What? Good soil, good soil. The the, the sixth grader got it, guys, okay? (laughs) And then later, after telling this parable, Jesus was alone with his followers. He was alone with the 12. And they asked him about this parable, and he said this, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may not see and not they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Okay, why are we back in Mark 4? What's so significant about this? Why is this so important? Well, Mark 4 is so important in the gospel of Mark because he positions this here strategically in his narrative to function as a key to help us understand and interpret and unlock Mark chapters 5 through 10. 
After this parable, Mark tells story after story about some people who see and perceive like the Syrophoenician woman and some people who see and don't perceive like the Pharisees and like the disciples. And on top of that, what's so interesting is Mark also strategically positions four stories about Jesus healing literal deaf and blind people. We encounter our first story here in Mark 7, Jesus healing this individual. In Mark 8, we'll see Jesus heal the blind man at Bethsaida. In Mark 9, we'll see Jesus heal a man who has been made deaf by demon possession. And then in Mark 10, we'll see Jesus heal blind Bartimaeus. Are these just a bunch of random stories that Mark threw together because Jesus was good at healing? No. All of these stories serve as illustrations for Jesus' warning in Mark chapter 4, which was what? That some will see and not perceive, and some will hear and not understand. And that, church, is the most important thing in all of this. That right there. Jesus has issued this life or death warning, not just for those gathered around him hearing at this moment, but for all of us gathered here right now, that there will be some of us who hear this good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and we will hear it, and we will hear it, and we will not understand, and we will see it. We will see the good work of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, and we will not truly perceive it. They will fall on deaf ears. And so church, hear this. Our biggest obstacle is spiritual deafness. That is our biggest obstacle. Your biggest obstacle is not financial insecurity. Your biggest obstacle is not a dead-end job. Your biggest obstacle is not some failed relationship. Our biggest obstacle especially in the way of us fulfilling that deepest desire that we talked about early on this morning, is spiritual deafness. It's it's seeing Jesus and not truly perceiving. It's hearing Jesus and not truly understanding who he really is. It's having your coworkers warn you again and again and again to not fly Spirit Airlines and fly it anyway. That's what it is. I have an Alaska Airlines credit card now. I've repented, okay? I've changed my ways. Our biggest obstacle is spiritual deafness. And here's, listen, it sounds kind of spiritual, you know, spiritual deafness. Well, I mean, it's got spiritual in the name. But like, what does that mean? How do we understand this in our lives practically? Well, I like to understand spiritual deafness, and I like to, I like to think of it showing up in a variety of different ways. And I like to use Mark 4 to understand it. Because some of us, some of us in this room, we are like pathway soil. We are like pathway soil, and, and, and this is, you know this is you. If you find yourself, even this morning, just indifferent to what's being said, you are indifferent to the things of Jesus, and, and, and at worst, you are so deeply skeptical and antagonistic about the things about Jesus and his kingdom that like those who are sincere here, you might even look down on them. That is a form of spiritual deafness. But that is not all of what spiritual deafness is because then there are some of us here that are like rocky soil. And we'll know this is us because our pattern of following Jesus, it looks like this. 
Our lives are marked by these bursts of enthusiasm and passion for following after Jesus, and we get so excited, and we love coming to church, and we sign up for all the groups, and we read our Bibles every day, but once hardship or difficulty strike our lives, all of a sudden, that passion and that enthusiasm for Jesus just vanishes. It just fades away. That is a form of spiritual deafness. And then there are others of us here, and I think if I had to guess, this is where we'd find most of us. We are thorny soil. Thorny soil. The seed of faith has seemingly planted in the soil of our lives, and it grows, but it grows alongside the cares and concerns of this world. We have a preoccupation with comfort, with materialism, with success, with getting promotions and and more of this and more of that and all of these distractions of life's worries and concerns and life's pleasures and life's delights. They preoccupy our attention and they pull our devotion away from Jesus. And listen, this doesn't just happen overnight. These plants don't sprout up overnight. This happens over time. But over time, if this is you, what begins to happen is you begin to long for the things and you just begin to look like and live like every other person in this world around you. That's another form of spiritual deafness. And so in that way, listen, I think we all have to stop and ask ourselves and examine our own lives and ask, am I spiritually deaf? And if you don't think you're spiritually deaf, then at least can we ask ourselves, am I spiritually hard of hearing? (laughs) Do I need something? Does something need to change? Let's go back to our story. Now this crowd brings the deaf man to Jesus and certainly they're hoping and expecting that he's gonna heal them. But look at verse 33 now. After Jesus took him aside privately, away from the crowd, just observe and note all of these things, Jesus then, you paying attention here? Puts his fingers in the man's ears and then after spitting, touches his tongue. What is going on here? Um, This is kind of weird. It's kind of hard to understand in the text and the original Greek doesn't help us out that much more. So I'm going to need someone to come up here so I can illustrate this real quick. Do I have any volunteers for this? Again, just the sixth grader. Okay, that makes sense. That one made sense. All right, that makes sense. As weird as this moment might seem, okay, and it's weird. It's weird. As weird as it might seem, here's what I want us to notice about this interaction between Jesus and the blind man. Again, remember about this blind man or a deaf man's life. He would have been isolated. He would have been lonely because of the obstacles that he faced. And yet, okay, let's just stop and let's look at the way that Jesus interacts with him, okay? First of all, Jesus is personal with him. He's personal. Jesus doesn't try to create some sort of healing spectacle so that everyone can see and marvel and, and you know, give Jesus their money and, and oh, look, I can do this. And he, he doesn't do that with this man. What does he do? He takes the man aside away from the crowd. 
in order to interact with him in a personal way. And just think about how rare this would have been for this guy to receive this kind of treatment. He was probably so used to just being ignored, fading off into the background, and yet here Jesus was pulling him aside personally. He is now at the center of Jesus' attention. And hear this, church. This is how Jesus is with you. This is how Jesus is with you. He is personal with you. He is personal with you. He doesn't try to create some sort of healing spectacle about your life so that all would marvel. In your spiritual deafness, with your obstacles, with the obstacles that you face personally, your guilt, your shame, your addictions, your problems, the lies you believe, those fixations that you have, with all of those things, Jesus himself approaches you and he's not looking to tear you up over those things. He's not looking to put you on center stage and make some sort of spectacle of you. He is going to patiently and personally pull you aside and walk with you through those things so that you can find freedom from those things. But hear this. If you'll let him, if you'll let him. And not only was Jesus personal with this man, look at, he was intentional. He was intentional. Look at, we have to talk about the weird, wet, willy thing and the spitting, right? Okay? What is going on with that? Like, why, why, why that? And, and listen, uh, I don't know. Commentators are like, it's normal. It's not normal. And so, listen, either way, just imagine this other scenario. Imagine that Jesus does pull this deaf man aside and puts him center stage and announces to the crowd, be healed, here. Who doesn't hear that declaration? The deaf man. And so what does Jesus do instead? He communicates with the man in an intentional way so that when Jesus is done at work with this man, this man is left beyond a shadow of a doubt, knowing that it was Jesus who did the work. And again, this is how Jesus is with you. Not only is he personal, but he is intentional. He is intentional with you. He knows your struggles. He knows the obstacles that you face in your life, the obstacles that keep you from hearing and truly understanding the obstacles that keep you from seeing and truly perceiving. And listen, he pulls you aside and he wants to speak over your life and he wants to speak over you, over your sin, over your shame. And again, if you'll let him, he wants to heal you. Wants to open your eyes, open your ears so that you would see and hear and truly understand. Because this is exactly what he did for this deaf man. Verse 34, then he looked up to heaven and said with a sigh, which is the same Greek word in Romans with the spirit groaning on our behalf. He says, ephetha, which in Aramaic means be opened, be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened, his tongue loosened, And he spoke plainly. While obstacles in life are inevitable, 
with Jesus, they are not insurmountable. And so hear this this morning, church. You might be here this morning and you might feel so, so far from God. You might feel like he is so distant from you today. And you might feel that with the obstacles you face, they are just so insurmountable. There is no way that that you can actually get through or break through or get over those obstacles to the other side with God. And you might feel like in that moment he's distant. He doesn't care. Or, or maybe, maybe you feel like he's actually present, but, but he's just unable to do anything about those obstacles. Or he's present, but he's actually unwilling to do anything about those obstacles in your life that prevent you from going after your deepest desire. Listen, I am here this morning to remind you and to assure you that that is not true. That is not true. Not only is Jesus wanting to meet with you right now, he's wanting to meet with you in a personal and intentional way. He wants to and is able to open your eyes and open your ears. Listen to this. His words in verse 34, be opened, they are not just merely personal words for that man at that time. These are powerful words that, that resonate and rip through the fabric of the universe and can, and, and can resonate through the fabric of your lives right now. Jesus saying, be opened, is this declaration It is this declaration that the the power of sin no longer has hold on our lives. It's a declaration to the powers and principalities of this world that things are changing. What was once now closed is open. What was once now impossible is possible. Where there wasn't a way, there is now a way because of Jesus Christ. He says it right here. Be open. Access, connection, the fulfillment of your deepest desire, it is actually in real life right now available to you. It is. It's available. Nothing has changed 2,000 years later. Jesus is still in the business of making a way. Making a way where there was no way. And so let me ask you this. What is getting in the way between you and God right now? What's getting in the way? What's the thing? What's the obstacle? What's the obstacle that you keep picking up and putting there? You're like, this thing that happened, it's between me and God now. It's there. My sin, the sin that I've been carrying, my past, my story, this lie, it's between God and I now. What is this thing that is getting between you and God? Where are you stuck? Where do you need to see movement right now in your life? Because hear this, church. Jesus has made a way. He's made a way. There's there's nothing that can get between you and God. Jesus has cleared the way. He has removed each and every obstacle. I get the sense this morning that there are some things that we need to let go of. I get the sense that there are some things that need to be repented of this morning. There are some things that we need to leave behind. Leave in the past. 
because we've been believing these lies that God is distant, that he is far off. And yet the reality is right now, Jesus is calling to you. He is saying, I've made a way. I've, I've cleared the path. I've removed every obstacle. Be open. Be open. And so what obstacle stands in your way? What, what, what in life have you given up on? You're like, I, 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 I can't anymore. It's dead. You see, Mark is trying to make this clear in this story. That this is not just some historical story about this one man and his healing, but this is a reality and a truth for all of us. Where there wasn't a way, there is now a way. Be open. And so, um, right now, here's what I want us to do. I uh, want to create uh, a time and space for you to just reflect on what the Spirit is, is doing in your life right now. A space to stop and a space to listen and a space to hear His voice in your life right now. Uh, a space to just like release those things, to let them go, to open up your hands, to open your heart and soul to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am open. Would you open my eyes and my ears? Would you take this thing? I've been picking up this thing day after day week after week, month after month, I lay it down before you now. I surrender before you now, Jesus. I give this thing to you now. So let's do that. Maybe you need to just close your eyes. We can close our eyes and just let's just take these next couple of minutes. The band's just gonna play just like this. There's gonna be no singing or anything. Just take, the, take this time. Go to Jesus. He wants to meet with you personally intentionally. He doesn't want to meet the person you think he wants to meet. He doesn't want to meet the person that you want to be. He wants to meet you as you are right now because that's the person he loves (laughs) and that's the person he wants to heal. One of my favorite passages in 
the entire Bible, is Philippians 2. And it says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, listen, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature, nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is how Jesus made a way, through surrender. The way isn't made through power. The way isn't made through toil. The way isn't made through struggle. The way is made by surrendering. And Jesus made that way once and for all by not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, but becoming like us, living in the frailty of flesh. And then that flesh was placed on a cross and he died a sinner's death in our place once and for all not just for your sins, but for the sins of the world, and not just for the sins of the world, but defeating the power of sin, transforming this world, opening up the gates of heaven, new creation, the kingdom of God is here. That is the good news of the gospel. And so at each and every one of your chairs, as you walked in, you probably saw the little communion elements. These are representative of what Jesus did to make a way. And Paul writes about these in, in 1 Corinthians 11. So how about you stand with me as we take these together? Paul writes this. He says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Let's continue to proclaim the death, the resurrection, the victory of Jesus in our lives. Let's continue to surrender ourselves to him as we sing this next song.